0: Did I just leave a cult? Because it feels kind of like I did. Quote, The modus operandi of every cult is to convince you there's something wrong with you, and only they can fix it. End quote. Marty Rubin I grew up in the era of cults. My siblings and I attended a small elementary school in Topanga Canyon back in the 1970s when it was still a wilderness of hippies and health food stores, not a safe haven for the 1%. We were heathens, without a doubt, raised like weeds by a former beauty queen who had dropped out of high school at 16 to have my older brother. She met my father at a nightclub called Pandora's Box in Hollywood. If you look carefully, you can see it in the background of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Pandora's Box turned out to be just what marrying my father was like for my mother her whole world changed. She had three daughters right in a row and now had four kids all before the age of 24. Then my mom and dad split and she raised us as mostly a single mom with various boyfriends who drifted in and out. We had to look out for ourselves because danger was everywhere. Grown-ups were off on their own trips, finding themselves getting drunk and naked at grape stomps. Their bodies and fluids commingling, along with the grapes and grape juice that would eventually become wine my mother like so many in the counterculture was and remains an atheist back then god was uncool freedom was cool breaking free from tradition and convention rippled through the left with tornado-like speed destroying the past creating the world anew the boomers broke free and saw nothing but wide open spaces and a chance to remake a world without God as they launched their counterculture revolution. Eventually, though, they would be sent adrift with no collective sense of purpose. They chased everything from sex, drugs, and rock and roll to celebrities and cults. So many cults. Cults seemed to sprout up everywhere, all of them with the promise of a brand new way of living that fixed every problem. They would always try to lure my mom or us kids into them always promising the same thing, happiness, a sense of belonging. They were at airports and outside supermarkets. We knew to stay away. Something about being raised as a wilding teaches you to trust no one. Most of the cults back then always collapsed under the weight of their own utopian ideals. Sex and financial scandals would rise out of the ash heap of failure. Whatever was left swirled down the drain in the wake of Watergate and the end of Vietnam and the failure of the Carter presidency, not to mention the more terrifying events like the Manson murders. It was not cool to be a hippie anymore. But their kids, kids like me, would grow up lost too. Worse than lost, depressed, full of anxiety and in need of a fix. We sought out therapy to talk about our bad childhoods. We gathered to watch Oprah every day at three, We wanted to fix ourselves and thought we could. It was self-help books, antidepressants. It was yoga, aerobics, meditation, juice cleanses, fasting, and gurus. First we focused inward, then we focused outward. Then it was climate change, women's rights, racial injustice, cloth diapers, hybrid cars, cruelty-free cosmetics, feeding the hungry, and eventually we had kids and then we sought about fixing them. They had to be perfect, too, because otherwise all of the work we did on ourselves was for naught. Unlike us, our kids would have high self-esteem, so they wouldn't become school shooters. They would not be abandoned or abused or molested or kidnapped. We hovered, we coddled, we tinkered. Imperfect children were diagnosed with this disorder or that, even as toddlers. Then we would drug them into perfection. We gave our children nowhere to escape, so they escaped online eventually though all points led to barack obama a perfect president for a perfect utopia of perfect people raising perfect kids we were good puritans utopians who had fixed ourselves and our kids and now we had a president to fix our country that feeling most of us had when obama won was like a religious awakening filling up a hole that had been left empty for decades. Finally, what we'd been searching for, working toward, and desperately craving had arrived. A collective sense of purpose embodied in the first black president. The idea of the first was the high we were chasing and would keep chasing to find ultimate purity. But sooner or later, you run out of the ones that already exist. So then you have to start inventing new ones, finding new ways to define people as marginalized. Who was not accepted by Hollywood? Who was never noticed in public? Who was shamed or ridiculed or bullied? These people needed rescuing and we were going to rescue them. Everyone else, which was mostly everyone, was to be named as the oppressors. The more successful, the more oppressive. Meanwhile, many of our kids began creating and inventing their own religion online. A jacked up version of ours based solely On identity purity and a binary measure of people who are good and people who are bad they didn't realize it but they were building a utopian cult that would grow up join the workforce and completely overtake the left We saw the beginnings of it at Evergreen College in 2018. Weinstein was the first stop in a week-long series of protests, which culminated
1: in students taking over the library and administration building, taking the senior administration hostage, and issuing a list of demands just as lengthy as they were self-contradicting. All of this was live-streamed onto the internet, and the aftermath resulted in the college shutting down for several days and moving its graduation ceremony one hour north. Since these events, the college. College has seen a dramatic drop in enrollment and is now often
0: referenced by journalists and public intellectuals whenever similar protests start up on other campuses. I myself graduated from Evergreen two weeks after the protests and have worked over the past two years to show the public what was going on behind the scenes. The Democrats folded, the media pandered, corporations surrendered. Though it took me a while to really understand what had happened to the left. I knew eventually it would drive me away. I was with them as a loyal Democrat who really was a true believer in the party and even the social justice movement for a time. But then it got weird. Really, really weird. I spent a few years trying to fight with them, pushing back against the many cancellations, trying to convince my friends and family that something was very wrong with the left. But none of them would listen to me. They were in a kind of mass-formation fugue state, and all they could do was try to pull me back into the fold. Even now, they show up with their fingers pointing, accusing me of being a heretic, a blasphemer, a witch. They whisper about me behind my back. They gossip and worry and fret about what happened to me, why I went so wrong. They seem to think that nothing is quite as bad on the left as Trump, so they keep asking me, Are you a Trump supporter now? And are you voting for Trump? If I answer yes, then they have their confession and they can feel satisfied that they were right to throw me away like human garbage. But I don't answer because I don't know. What I do know is that it was a lie that we were the resistance. We were always the empire. It was a lie that Trump was a fascist. We're closer to fascism now than we've ever been as a country with the Democrats in power. And it was always a lie that Trump world was a cult. What kind of a cult leader takes credit for the vaccine then can't get his supporters to take it. Wouldn't they have complied like everyone on the left? Did Jim Jones allow anyone to not drink that flavor aid laced with cyanide? The cult of the left is ruled by fanatics, zealots and true believers. While there really are people who suffer from gender dysphoria, and trans people do exist in my view, they aren't part of the cult of the left so much as they have become sacred symbols of it. To be a member of the cult, you have to always be deferential to the sacred and protected groups. America is still a majority white, majority Christian, and majority heterosexual nation. That means cult members have to either cross over as non-binary or trans to be saved, or they have to be good allies.
1: You may have heard of allyship. But research shows that most of us don't really understand what allyship is. So let's start with the definition. Allyship is an active and consistent effort to use your privilege and power to support and advocate for people with less privilege. Let's unpack that. Our society is set up in ways that prioritizes some groups over others. For example, a restaurant might be easy to navigate for a person without a disability, but much harder for someone who uses a wheelchair. These patterns show up in our workplaces too. Studies show that leaders are more likely to mentor people who remind them of themselves. And since most leaders are white men, that means it's often easier for white men to find mentors.
2: Allyship involves understanding inequities like these and taking concrete steps to help level the playing field. This is a key point. To show up as allies, we have to take action. Sometimes taking action feels tricky or even uncomfortable. But not acting can be more harmful than we realize. It can send a signal that we're not aware of the injustices around us, or that we think they're okay, or even that we don't care. So if you're not sure what to do, ask yourself Is there an action I can take that is responsible, even if it's not perfect? If so, do that. Allyship isn't about getting any.
0: The women are bad enough, trading their journey of empowerment for endless self-punishment over their whiteness. So now their children are being used as sacred symbols for their path towards salvation. They might not be sacred themselves, but they are holy mothers of the sacred, which gives them some status.
3: I was uh, designated, assigned, observed male at birth, and until about 18 months, didn't really... You know know too much just kind of was raising two kids working full time not really paying attention to what was going on and at around 18 months started she started showing signs of like really being interested in things that her sister had and had in her closet and wanting to play dress up and wanting to put on lip gloss and when she would see fingernails she would want her fingernails painted too and you know we just we thought it was cute no issue we had no issue with you know her wanting to do those kinds of things Um, And then around the age of two, things started to progress at a quicker pace. And so each time that we would go to pick her up from preschool, she was fully outfitted in dresses and jewelry. And so I will say, I was super stoked that we had such a wonderful childcare center that she was in because she was allowed to, you know, experiment with her gender and play dress up and do those kinds of things and have access to them. So when I would go to pick her up from preschool, like I said, she would be dripping in, you know, just jewelry and clicky shoes and all kinds of stuff. And getting her to take that off to go home was usually a pretty gnarly struggle. Uh, And then around the age of four, she started wanting to wear like leggings and headbands she had this one headband she was completely attached to that she felt i i look back on it now and think to myself gosh i wonder when she put that that headband on, she thought to herself, people see me for who I am. No one's going to misgender me now. Um, And so it it progressed. It just kept moving in that direction with more and more things that started showing more and more signs. Um, She would say, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll be a girl. And we were kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. And my husband and I would be like, we got to, we got to figure this thing out. And so kind of for that final test, my husband decided, you know what? We're going to figure this thing out. We're, we're going to, We're going to tap into this and see what happens. So he said, you know, I'm going to coach a t-ball team and I want her to be on it. And so I was like, all right, let's do it. Well, that didn't go over so well. She not only hated T-ball, she hated the uniform, she hated the hat. We found everything in the trash multiple times. Um, She was, you couldn't get her out the door uh, to go play on Saturday mornings. And so uh, eventually I thought at one point, well, okay, well, what if I let you wear your leggings and a tank top underneath and we can, as soon as the game's over, you can take your uniform off. And she was like... Okay, so she wore the headband. She didn't wear the hat. She wore the headband. She wore the clothes underneath her uniform, and she would go to the game, and she would stand there. And as soon as it was like game over, she would rip those clothes, you know, that uniform off, and stand and proud in her tank top and her leggings. Um, and very shortly after that, she told us she was a girl.
0: Cults separate children from parents. Cults separate mothers from their biological impulse to protect their children. Watching Democrats wear pins to the State of the Union that said abortion was yet another sign that the cult seeks to destroy the bond between mother and child. The cult seems to want less power for the mother, for women. No one decides the gender of their child at birth. Mothers don't know, can't know their children. They aren't to be trusted after all. They're earthly, not sacred people. Their gender doesn't really mean anything anymore. Their status as mothers is only useful if it produces a sacred being. But that's nothing compared to the good white men of the left. They have had to erase themselves in real time, as though they alone can roll back thousands of years of men being in charge. This poor guy, like someone please find his balls. They were here a minute ago. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a picture of an article by Noah Berlatsky with the title, My wife is bisexual and non-binary, and my daughter is transgender. My queer family helped me better understand myself and my masculinity. Their only outlet is to take to Twitter and unleash all of their pent up frustration at their own muted masculinity. They can call Marjorie Taylor Greene white trash and feel perfectly justified in it. They know no one will call them a sexist. They can openly mock Justice Clarence Thomas knowing they will not be called a racist. It must feel so good to beat their chest in cosplay being the men they once were instead of the melted goo that they are now. This is why Joe Biden must flank himself with black women and why Hollywood hides behind black actors in their films, their advertising and their award shows. Biden and the Democrats believe they really have changed things by reordering the social hierarchy. Privilege
2: is the unearned advantage we get from being part of a dominant group whose needs have traditionally been prioritized. We can experience privilege because of our gender, race, sexual orientation, ability, class, or other identities. Many of us experience a combination of privilege and disadvantages. For example, white women have privilege because of their race.
0: And if you don't think it's a cult, just today the Hollywood Reporter published a letter from celebrities demanding the already oh-so-woke, couldn't-possibly-be-more-woke New York Times change their coverage of transgender issues. Podcast listeners were looking at an article with the headline, Judd Apatow, Gabrielle Union, Tommy Dorfman accuse the New York Times of dangerous inaccuracies in coverage of trans people. Quote, The letter, which was expected to be delivered to the paper Wednesday morning, includes more than 100 individual and organizational signatories declaring a need... For significant changes to how the Times reports on the trans community across its desks. Other entertainment signatories include Hannah Gadsby, Jamila Jamal, Jazz Jennings, Jen Richards, Joey Soloway, Johnny Silbilly, Jonathan Van Ness, Lena Dunham, Margaret Cho, Peppermint, and Zachary Drucker. That they believe they can control what people think if they bully the New York Times into compliance or they silence dissent is, well, the stuff of cults. Their latest witch hunt is David French, of all people, a guy you almost can't even recognize as a conservative. They think the Times should instruct him and everyone on what they must say and what they must think. Years from now, when these young people come to us and ask, where were you? Why didn't you protect us? What are we going to say? That we were too afraid? Many of them are going to have major health problems for life and probably not be able to bear children or breastfeed them and we're supposed to sit idly by and say nothing? What it is we've been searching for on the left is simply a way to replace the religion we lost long ago. I know that now. That is something I'm going to have to find a way to reconcile in my own mind and heart. One person who has stood firm, J.K. Rowling. Somehow through it all, she has managed to push back and allow the many dehumanizing attacks against her, the burning of her books, the destruction of her games, and their attempts to destroy her memory and her legacy, to simply pass by her like a hard rain. She has enough education and enough true grit to understand that there is nothing new about what's happened to the left. The Free Press has just launched a new podcast series called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Silencing dissent only works for so long. Sooner or later, reality comes knocking. We should never have to live in a country where we are afraid to express ourselves, to have conversations about complex topics, and above all, have the courage to stand up and protect kids. I can't think of any higher purpose than that. Thanks for listening to my Substack, SashaStone.substack.com, and this is a song by Burt Bacharach, by request from our reader, Jim. And remember, to thine own self be true.